please would you turn in your Bibles again with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, the prophet Isaiah. Sorry, chapter 53. That was close. Isaiah 53 and verse 5. And just one verse, but so much here. The prophet says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. In 2017, a musical Uh, performance of world-class singers was due to take place at the Wigmore Hall in London when just 36 hours before the show was due to start the soprano 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 Ruby Hughes was taken ill now if you were the musical director for that occasion let me ask you where would you go for help Would you go to the stars who are already in the show to see if they could cover an extra few songs or perhaps stars in other shows to see if they were available? Well, not director John Gilhooley. No, he didn't look anywhere to already established talent. Instead, he went to the girl who worked in the cloakroom. You see, Millie Forrest, who uh, worked at the hall as an usher, was also a graduate of the Royal Academy of Music. And she had actually auditioned for Mr. Gilhooley some six months ago. So he knew that she had some very capable talent. And in his kindness to her, he gave her the opportunity to come out of the cloakroom and step on the stage, which she gladly did. And as you can imagine, she made the most of the opportunity and she sang her heart out. And one national newspaper that was covering the event that day said her performance was, quote, breathtaking and her voice reached to heaven. And as a result, she's had lots more bookings (laughs) and suddenly uh, new opportunities open to her. And I've got a feeling we'll be hearing more and more of Millie Forrest in the future. Now, I tell you that story not just because it's a heartwarming story of someone getting a lucky break, as they call it, not that I believe in luck, but because it's a wonderful illustration of what this passage in our Bible reading is going to be talking about today, a substitute stepping in. And that's what we have here in Isaiah 53. We have the greatest act of substitution ever prophesied about 740 years before it happened when the Lord Jesus Christ stepped in as the substitute for sinners when he died on the cross as 1 Peter 3:18 in the bible says for Christ died for sins once for all the righteous for the unrighteous that substitution to bring you to god You see, when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sins, as I've already said, but for ours. He was acting substitutionally. And that's why this passage we're looking at briefly this morning repeats the word our all through it. Did you notice that in verse 5? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and so on. 
This is a verse about Christ's substitution for us. And the main focus in this study of substitution is the suffering of Christ, which he went through on the cross at that time on our behalf. And it focuses especially on four things. It focuses on his piercing wounds, his crushing bruises, his chastening punishment and his wounding stripes. And I'd like us just to pause and take stock of this this morning, of what our Saviour went through for us that first Good Friday, as we call it, all those years ago. And as we do so, to consider his merciful, gracious love for us in being our substitute on the cross. So first of all then, let's consider his piercing wounds. In verse uh, verse 5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. On the 20th of April 1956, a powerful tornado ripped through a place called Rununga in New Zealand. And it was so powerful that a very strange thing happened. Nails from one person's house roof were actually ripped right out of their sockets in the timbers. And by the power of the wind, they were flung so forcefully through the air that they were actually re-hammered into another piece of timber many yards away. It was as if an invisible hand wrenched them out of one piece of wood and fired them into another. Well, you know, friends, spiritually, that's what happened 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary just outside Jerusalem. Nails that should have gone into my hands and feet for my sins were pounded instead into the Lord Jesus Christ. And as it says here, he was pierced for our transgressions. And some of you probably already realise that that's a, a remarkable prophecy because crucifixion wasn't even invented by the time Isaiah said those words. It was invented later by the Persians and then perfected by the Romans who used it for capital punishment of non-Roman citizens. And Cicero, the great Roman orator, was uh, arguably one of the last people ever to see a Roman crucifixion. And he said it was the most cruel of all deaths and it probably was. But as Martin Luther said, if you want to understand the Christian message, you must start with the wounds of Christ. Why was Jesus nailed to the cross that Good Friday? Well, the answer here is to pay for our transgressions. You see, transgression is a legal word for breaking the law. And as far as God is concerned, that's what we've all done. We've all broken his holy law, the Ten Commandments, with our covetousness, our lying, our stealing, our adultery, our blasphemy and so on. And as a result of that, we are all worthy of punishment. But praise God, the Lord Jesus stepped in so that if we want him to, he can be our saviour. And it's only if... But if we want him to be our saviour, then this verse can be true for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. Personally speaking, I've gone to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and asked him to be my saviour. And I recommend you do the same. Second thing it talks about is his crushing bruises. In verse 5 again, it says he was crushed for our 
iniquities. Or as some translations put it, he was bruised for our iniquities. Now what is this phrase describing? Well it's actually referring to something which the Jewish people would have understood from their sacrificial system and applied it to the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross. You see back in the book of Leviticus in the Bible you have something called the grain offering described. And the grain offering was a food sacrifice, if you like, where the Jewish farmers could bring some of their crops as a sacrifice to God. It was the only non-animal sacrifice in the Mosaic law, but it was a very pictorial one because it prophesied in actions the Lord Jesus suffering on the cross for us. It says in Leviticus 2.14, If you bring a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord... Offer crushed heads of new grain roasted in the fire. Put oil and incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall burn the memorial portion of the crushed grain and the oil together with all the incense as an offering made to the Lord by fire. And so you can see what the Jewish farmer would do here is he would cut the grain and the Hebrew word there is Carmel for new grain like Mount Carmel which is where they used to grow crops uh, in that area in that day. And he would then grind it to fine flour between millstones or pound it with hammers to break it down. And then he would bake it in the fire with the other ingredients as a sacrificial meal and partly uh, which was then given partly to the priests and partly directly offered on the altar and that act of crushing and then putting into the fire was a visual aid to help the Jewish people understand what the Lord Jesus was going to do for them and for us on the cross when he came in the future he was going to be bruised and crushed under the judgment of God and go through the furnace of his wrath when he took our iniquities, our crookedness, on himself as our substitute. And of course, this really refers to the spiritual sufferings of Christ, which he went through on the cross for us, even more than the physical ones. As Charles Spurgeon once put it, his soul sufferings were the soul of his sufferings. And believe it or not, this was even worse than the physical suffering meted out by the Romans on crucifixion day because here he was suffering the equivalent of what you and I would go through in hell if we were to pay for our sins ourselves just think of it all the wrath and anger of a holy and pure God against sin was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ as the hymn writer Joseph Swain put it Such wrath as would kindle a hell of never-abating despair. For millions of sinners then fell on Jesus and spent itself there. In other words, the Lord Jesus totally exhausted the wrath of God for our sins on the cross. To the point where he could call out, it is finished. And know that we were saved. What a mighty saviour is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Then thirdly, it talks about his chastening punishment in verse 5. And you might think I'm repeating myself there or using a redundancy because chastening is punishment. It's another word for discipline and correction, isn't it? But that's what it says in the literal Hebrew of verse 5. It says, he bore our chastisement by punishment. It's saying again that God's judgment fell on Jesus for our sins. And it's stressing the fact that this was just punishment for sin which was being meted out. It wasn't cosmic child abuse, as Steve Chalk once called it blasphemy. It was proper justice, chastening punishment. You know, some years ago, there was a pastor in America who got a a ticket from the police for speeding in his car. He was a a go-faster pastor. And of course, this was an expense that he didn't need. So he approached a judge who came to his church and said, I don't suppose there's any chance you could see to this for me, is there? And the kindly judge smiled and said, yes, of course. Well, the next time the pastor saw the judge, he said, was that all right? Were you able to get that ticket cancelled for me? And the judge said, well, just so you know, I didn't cancel it. I paid it for you. And the pastor said, oh, no, I didn't want you to do that. I just wanted you to cancel it out for me. And the judge looked at the pastor and said, pastor, let me ask you, were you speeding that day when you got the ticket? And the pastor blushed and said, yes, I was. And the judge said, well, justice needed to be done. And I paid the fine for you. And the pastor had a lesson in his own theology. You see, we're a bit like that pastor, really, aren't we? We don't want Jesus to pay our sins for us on the cross. We just want God to wave his hand and let us off. But, you know, if he did that, then people would call God a hypocrite. Because in his own law, in the book of Deuteronomy 25 verse 1, God said that human judges should condemn the guilty and acquit the innocent. And if God just let us go free without condemning us, he would be a hypocrite. So how can God be both just and merciful at the same time? Well, the answer is substitution. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The Lord Jesus took the punishment we deserve on the cross for us. So we can now have peace with God. As someone once put it, he didn't come to rub it in. He came to rub it out. It was paid in full and now the offence can be remembered no more. His is the punishment. Mine is the peace. And then finally... Isaiah speaks about his wounding stripes in verse 5. It says, and by his wounds we are healed. The Puritan commentator Matthew Henry once said, sin is not only a crime for which we are condemned to die, but it is a disease which tends directly to the death of our souls and for which Christ provided the cure. And that, in a nutshell, is what this verse is saying. When the Lord Jesus was wounded, and the word in Hebrew is the word habura, referring actually to an open wound, perhaps caused by the flogging on Jesus' back by the Romans, then God was accepting Christ's suffering for our healing cure. The King James Study Bible says the Hebrew word rapha means to mend or cure and refers to our spiritual condition 
being made whole. You know, that Good Friday, Christ was literally acting as our wounded healer. A bit like the story of the African mother who saw her little girl being bitten by a poisonous snake. And so she quickly picked up the little girl and sucked the venom out of her, which saved the little girl's life at the expense of her own. Well, that's what Christ did for you and me. And the impact of our spiritual healing will even affect our physical healing when Christ comes again for his church. So what an amazing act of substitution that took place that first Good Friday by our Lord Jesus Christ. He took all that suffering for us. There's only one thing Christ can't do for us, you know, friends, as a substitute. And that is our response to all this. That's something we have to do on our own. And what God calls from each one of us is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what he did for us on that day, for me and for you, so that we can trigger the benefits of it to ourselves. You see, it's a little bit like having a parachute that can save you from a great fall. It might be provided for you, but it will only work if you pull the ripcord yourself. And so the Bible tells us in Acts 16 verse 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. In other words, stop trusting in yourself and your own good works to get you to heaven, and instead trust in Christ, in his substitutionary work. The Lord Jesus' own words are these in John six forty seven: Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. May each one of us here trust Christ as our substitute today.